morning and welcome to worship at Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church. It is good to see you this morning. We want to welcome all who are gathered here and we are grateful that you have chosen to make worship at Preston Hollow a part of your Sunday morning experience. We welcome those who are live streaming us, those who are listening by radio. We are glad that all have gathered for worship today. I want to encourage you to locate the friendship pads. You will find those on the outside aisles of your pews. Please register your presence to let us know that you're here. Equally important, if you will note the names of those worshiping around you so that you can greet one another personally, that would be a wonderful thing to do. There are cards in the pew racks in front of you for connection and for prayer. Please use those as you uh, might like to let us know of prayer concerns or celebrations in your life. We consider it a privilege to pray with you and for you in the coming week. On the connection side, if you have a, uh, a desire to become more connected, if you have a question about the church, this is one way to let us know of that. Today, I will call to your attention our starting point class. This is an opportunity that will happen next week for you to become a member of church. Uh, so we hope that you will uh, avail yourself of that opportunity as well. PHPC serves our annual week-long opportunity to partner with organizations across our community to make a difference in the lives of others. It begins this week. It will be running through the week, and there are opportunities for you to still sign up and participate in the, North, in the uh, atrium as well as online. So know that that opportunity is before you uh, as well. If you've noticed the blue mailbox in the, in the uh, atrium this morning, uh, it's been there for a few weeks. We are giving you an opportunity to ask the pastors a question. If you have a burning theological question that you would like to pose to the pastors, this is your opportunity to write it on a slip of paper and put it in the mailbox. We love to pick those, uh, to select some questions to answer and to make a video and to let you uh, hear our answers. So we do consider that a great opportunity to interact with the church as a whole. So please take advantage of that. Today we are taking up the question, why worship? It is an opportunity to ponder why it is that you come here week after week. So we look forward to uh, exploring that question with you through the sermon and through other aspects of worship today. Friends, let us now join our hearts and minds together as we worship Holy God.
family of faith, there is beauty all around us. So let us join together in the call to worship. The world belongs to God, the earth and all its people. It is good to live in community, to work and to talk with each other. Love and faith come together, justice and peace join hands. We are glad to be in God's house, to listen and sing, pray and serve, gather and study, care and give, to worship the living God. Let us worship together.
family of faith, worship is communing with God, communicating with God and one another. Through the spoken word, the sung melody, through quiet reflection, worship is also praying to God in the presence of one another. And, in this case, speaking honestly of our faults and our failings, acknowledging those and their effects on others and on ourselves, and seeking God's forgiveness as we strive to do better. So friends, let us pray together the prayer of confession found in your bulletin. Holy God, Lord of love, forgive us for not singing your praises when we are joyful. Forgive us for not shouting to the world the good that you do. Forgive us for not trusting hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. scripture read aloud. Let us pray. God of our lives and God of the living word, some of us come to this space with hope in our hearts, with anticipation for the word we will hear read and proclaimed, convinced it may change our very lives. Others of us are at the end of our rope. We're here out of duty or obligation to others. But whoever we are, and whatever brought us to worship this day, we are yours. So God, in hearing your word, we pray that you will somehow lighten our load, that you will somehow show us the pattern of living that you long for us, that you will somehow breathe new life into us. So speak, Lord, for we are listening. So you know, uh, Jesus never tells anyone to worship him. Uh, in fact, in all the gospels, uh, Jesus tells people to follow him 22 times, but he never once says, uh, and worship me. 
It's really interesting. In none of the Gospels, uh, Jesus doesn't set up like satellite campuses. He doesn't uh, create worshiping communities and say, this is how you are to worship. Follow this uh, liturgy and then you'll be worshiping me. Jesus just doesn't tell people to worship him. That doesn't mean they don't. They do. Uh, his disciples worship him uh, when they're in a boat and the sea gets really rocky and there's a storm. They fall at his feet, and the text says, and they worshiped him. Uh, there was a woman who had been bleeding for like 10 years. She was a woman of means, and she exhausted all of those means uh, in pursuit of her health. And so uh, she literally worships Jesus and crawls to him, breaking through just to touch the hem of his cloak. Oh, people worship Jesus all the time, not because he told them to. Which begs the question, uh, why worship? Why are you here? Are you here uh, because this is what you do on Sundays, right? Uh, you think, I got this really long streak, 55 years. If I break it now, what will the 55 years previous be? Are you here um, because maybe one of your grandchildren is being baptized and you feel like if you weren't here, you would be bad? There you are, right there on the front pew. I just can't not say hi. This is what you need to know. This is how I show love and affection. We really hope you'll come back. Are you here because um, you actually love the person that you're sitting next to and this matters a lot to them? And so you're here maybe for their benefit, but not so much your own? Why are you here? Um, here's uh, what we know. Jesus doesn't tell people to worship him, but Jesus does spend a lot of time in the Gospels worshiping, though it never says, and Jesus worshiped. Uh, periodically, Jesus would withdraw and go away. And I'm going to make the generous assumption that Jesus would go away to pray, to listen, to breathe, to reflect, to worship. So we're going to uh, turn to some stories from the Bible that are sort of in the greatest hits. And I want you to pay attention not so much to the content of these stories, but to the regularity and the rhythm by which Jesus withdraws and worships. Because I think it might indicate why we worship. It may be an invitation of why we're here. So we're going to turn to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I would invite you to listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. At that time, Herod, the ruler... Herod heard reports about Jesus, and he said to his servants, uh, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. For this is what you need to know. Herald, Herod, not Herald, Herod had arrested John long ago and bound him, and he put him in prison on account of Herodias, who was his brother his brother Philip's wife, because John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. It is not lawful for you, Herod, to have your brother's wife. Though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and she pleased Herod. She pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was grieved, Herod was grieved, yet out of regard for his own oaths and for the guest, he commanded 
the head of John the Baptist to be given, and he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And John the Baptist's head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. He was beheaded as a party trick because the king wanted his brother's wife. This is in the Bible and this is about marriage. Just saying. <laughs> and then the disciples, his disciples came and took the body and buried it and then they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and, and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed and broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples then gave them to the crowds and all, and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's make the generous assumption just for a second that uh, John the Baptist and Jesus, who were cousins, were actually part of a family that spoke to one another. And we're going to make the generous assumption that when John the Baptist is beheaded as a party trick to the king, to Herod, that Jesus is sad. We're going to make the generous assumption that if someone in our family was uh, beheaded as a party trick to someone in power that we would have some feelings about that. We would probably be upset, we would be sad, we would be angered, we would probably be grief-stricken. So we're gonna make the generous assumption that Jesus is all of those things when the disciples tell him that John the Baptist's head just got brought in on a platter. And we're gonna make the generous assumption that it is in Jesus's grief that he goes out into a boat by himself, not to fish, but to seek solace. To have some quiet to sort out what is going on in this crazy life, in this crazy world, in this crazy news that I've just been given. Maybe Jesus went out in the boat because what else do you do when you receive news like that? And we're going to make the generous assumption for Jesus that he was depleted. And so he turned to the source of his identity. He turned to the one in which he found his story. And that source filled him up, if not just that much. So that when the sun came up and uh, 5,000 men apparently were there, and they wanted a sermon from Jesus, he had something to give them. 
And he had enough to give him that he taught him all day. And when the sun was going down, the disciples came to Jesus and said, you got to send him away. The hour is now late. Send him to get some food. And Jesus has enough even within him to say to the disciples, I think we have more to give. And we're going to make the generous assumption that after Jesus not only taught those people, but fed those people, he had nothing else to give. So he withdraws to a mountain to be alone, to pray, to breathe, to reflect. I don't know, to worship. If you come here today because you're so depleted that you are looking to be reminded that your life is greater than your own, have you come here today because your battery says under 20% and you're going into low battery mode right now? Are you here because you need to be reminded that there's more to this life than what you give to everybody else? I don't know, but to answer questions like that, we need to pray. So let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So we ask, O oh God, that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words. And that you would breathe new life into the meditations of all of our hearts. That all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God. For you are our rock. And you are our redeemer. Amen. I know, I've never seen a minister do a sermon like this either. <laughs> but my hope is, in um, a short period of time, you'll know why I'm sitting in this chair giving this sermon. This is what you need to know. Uh, my roommate, freshman year of college, uh, was from Mobile, Alabama, and his name was Cersei Allen Wilcoxon III. <laughs> Baptism families, you thought you had some family names. His parents had the good sense not to turn him out to the playground in kindergarten with a name like Cersei. So they uh, dreamed up a nickname for him. They went all the way from Cersei Allen Wilcoxon III to Buzz. <laughs> I think it would have been easier to send him out as Cersei myself. This is what you need to know. Cersei Buzz was the greatest roommate that anybody could have freshman year of college. I went to a small liberal arts school uh, in the South, and I reached a crisis point second semester freshman year. And that crisis was I had uh, somehow mislocated my blue blazer at a party one night. And so the um, promise that I made to my mom that I was going to go to at least one church service spring semester, I didn't have my blue blazer for. So I went to Buzz and I said, Buzz, can I borrow your blue blazer? I, I promised my mom I was going to go to church this Sunday. And he said, yeah, you can borrow my blue blazer, but you got to make me a couple promises. And I said, Buzz, I'll promise you anything. What do you want me to promise? He said, you have to promise that you're not going to lose or mess up my churching clothes. And I looked at him and I said, churching clothes? He goes, you know, Matthew, I got hunting clothes. I got fishing clothes. I got golfing clothes. And these are my churching clothes. It's a dad joke, I know, but it proves the point. Many of us uh, this morning woke up 
went into our closets and uh, put on our churching clothes. Many of us woke up this morning and we wrestled our children into their churching clothes. But the reality is uh, you haven't come to church. You haven't come to church today. You've come to worship. I know that's like a really small distinction. Does it really matter? I think it does. You've come to worship. I've heard people uh, say that worship should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I've heard people say the best worship is when worship comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And I got to tell you, I love that saying. I do, but I think it misses the point. It misses the point because it draws our focus away from God and it makes us the center of what worship is. We are either the afflicted or we are the comfortable. It doesn't matter. Worship is about us and what worship should do to us. And it can be easy to think that way, right? We're Americans. I mean, if you go to Starbucks and they don't get your order right, what do you do? You tell them and they say, we will make it right this time. It's easy for us to come to worship and to think that worship is supposed to be about us. God, you're supposed to speak directly through me. And you get like an hour to do it, by the way, Lord. Don't worry, I'll find your toes in a minute. I mean, how often have you walked out of worship and you ask uh, the people who were here at 930 worship, was the sermon any good this week? <laughs> and they say, I don't know, it was really long, but I think there's probably some nuggets of truth in there for you. <laughs> or how many times have you uh, walked into worship and uh, it's like the pastor who's doing the prayers of the people read your email or your text messages all week and you think, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Or you show up. It's the first time that you've been in the sanctuary in a really long time, and you hear an intro like that from Ryan Anthony, and you are transported back in time to 20 years ago when that song was played at your mama's or your grandmother's memorial service. And you think, Lord, what are you doing? Conversely, have you ever uh, gone to a church, went to worship, and thought, what in the world was that? I mean, the sermon had nothing to do with the scripture lesson. I'm not really sure what uh, the minister was praying for. It just sounded like a bunch of hot topic buzzwords to me. Why would anyone want to go to that church if worship was like that? I hope you've never come to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church, walked out and thought that about worship here. It's easy, right? It's tempting. It's tempting to judge worship based on what we perceive that we get out of it. It's easy to think that worship is about us, especially when we think we have come to worship. But we have to remember uh, that worship is not a noun. It's not a noun. Worship is actually a verb. Literally, worship means this. Worship is intentionally giving worth or value through words or actions. Worship is intentionally giving worth or value through words or actions. Quite literally, worship is revealing what holds the most worth 
to us. Worship is a worth-ship. So it begs the question, does it not? What do you most give your worth to? I don't know, if we um, stepped back for just a second and we looked at our words and our actions, what would they reveal? That we give our worth to? What would our words and actions say that we value the most? Uh, what is worship? It has been shaped by uh, uh, a Danish philosopher from the mid-1800s uh, named Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, he wrote this tiny little book, um, and Kierkegaard only lived to be 42 years old, but he wrote this little book called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing, and many theologians have some, summarized that entire book to mean this, the audience of one, because uh, Kierkegaard used a metaphor in that book as worship being like the theater and us going to the theater. And this is what Kierkegaard says. In the theater, the play is staged before an audience who are called theater goers. But at the devotional address, and what he means by that is at, in worship, God is present. In the most earnest sense, God is the critical theater goer who looks on to see how the lines are spoken and how the lines are received. Kierkegaard is talking about the audience of one. So imagine with me just for a second, um, if we all understood that in the sanctuary today, right now, and even at 9.30, and even our 8.15 service, that we were all on stage and that we were not the audience, but we are all the actors. All of us, even those up front in black robes, if we're all on stage and we're all the actors and there is the audience of one singular God, how then would that change our worship? I mean, if we're all on stage, right, and God is our audience, how would it change the way that we uh, prayed? How would it change uh, what you actually prayed when you were in this space? I don't know. Maybe that would be a little uncomfortable for you. You don't want God that close. You don't want God as the audience of one. Thank you very much, Jesus. Just tell me the Lord's Prayer. I'll recite that, keep you at arm's length, and you don't mess with my family or my life. Thanks. How would it change the way that we uh, sang? I know sometimes the hymns, they can be a little dreary, or they can be uh, words that we don't always know or use anymore? Do we think, you know what, this song doesn't really speak to me, so I'll just stand here and pretend like I sing, but I don't actually sing. Who are you singing to? And why are you singing at all? How would it change the way I preach? Can I just say it's a lot more fun to pick on you? <laughs> Can I tell you a secret? You really want to build somebody's ego up, you know what you should do to them? You should give them a really fancy black robe. You should give them a, a, a stole 
that they can change to mark the seasons of time. And then you know what you should give them with that robe and a stole? A degree that they can hang in a public space with the title on top of it. Master of Divinity. What a joke. What an oxymoron. Master of the divine? Give me a break. If the God of the universe were sitting in one chair and we were all on stage, how would that change my preaching? How would it change uh, what we pray for? How would it change the words that we use to convey to the God of the universe the most intimate concerns of our lives? How would it change the most heartbreaking stories that we know of our friends and of the world? And how would we convey that to God? Oh, if we were all on stage and God was the only person in the audience, how would we go about our uh, baptisms and communion? I mean, I get it. We ask you to say some things from time to time, and sometimes we ask you to hold the, the cup and eat the bread, and that can be really confusing. But do we remember what's actually happening? There are children whose eyes have not developed enough for them to actually recognize what their parents look like at this stage. And we are going to make promises on behalf of those children and those families that the God of the universe loves those children long before they even know what their parents look like, know what love is, or even can utter God's name. Oh, how would we change our worship and baptism if the God to whom we were promising were sitting right here? And if we're all actors on the stage and we're not the uh, audience? How would that change um, when we came to worship and how we came to worship? I mean, for instance, if we're actors on a stage, let's say you're in the cast of Hamilton, um, or the cast of Come From Away. Still not there, okay. The cast of Les Mis. Would you show up five minutes after Curtain? Would you sneak out 10 minutes before the play was over even though not all the lines had been spoken? I, okay, it's Dallas. <laughs> Let's say you played for the Cowboys. And the game goes into overtime. Do you walk over to the coach and go, you know what, coach, we really should have been able to wrap this up in four quarters. My contract says I got to play every game. I'm not giving you extra time. You really should be able to wrap this up in two and a half hours if you call better plays. Would you walk out? I know I'm messing with you. But I think the question is valid. How would our worship change if God were the only audience? I think it would change everything. I think it would change everything. I think it would change how we worship. I also think it would change how we live. And this is why um, a year ago I was in this space and a mentor and friend of mine, Steve Eason, uh, had come to Dallas to work with me on my preaching. It was a Tuesday afternoon and uh, 
all of you were at work and nobody was in here. And so we walked in. We didn't even turn on the lights. Steve went uh, behind the chancel area where the choir is and he pulled out a chair. There's all kinds of stuff back there. He pulled out a chair and he put it right here in the chancel and he looked at me and he said, Matthew, audience of one, if God, the living God, were sitting in this chancel this week, how would that change the way you walked into this space? How would it change the way you prepared for a sermon? And what would you preach? And I looked at Steve and I said, Steve, if uh, the God of the universe were sitting in this chair when I walked into this chancel, I don't think I'd be able to utter a word. And Steve said, knowing you, that's saying a lot. <laughs> I said, I don't think I would uh, be able to utter a word because what do you say to the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who has promised to be with you in every season of life. I said, Steve, I don't know what I would say, but I think I would become really clear on this point, that the audience of one is not limited to our worship. That worship is a mere dress rehearsal for the rest of our lives. It's an invitation for us to understand that our story is part of a larger story. It's an invitation for us to live as though we are not the center of the universe. And let's be really clear, I often think that I am the center of the universe I try to create. It comes with the robe. It's an invitation to recognize that what we put our value and our worth in the most is not our houses and not our cars and not our jobs and dare I say not even our families or our vacations, but it's the one who gives us life That's why I worship, because I need to get together with a whole room full of people every single Sunday to remember that we're on this journey together and that there's a different way to live. I need to be reminded that that's the invitation of every moment of every day for me and for you, because there's really only an audience of one. And I need to remember that the God of the universe is worth it all. Is worth it all. So why do you worship? Why are you here? How would you answer God? If it was only God in this room with you. Let us pray. God, we are grateful. We are so grateful for the gift of life and for the gift of breath and for your love that knows no boundaries. We pray that this hour of worship will lead us more fully into grace, into love and life, and that we would reflect those to the world. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Friends, having heard God's good news, let us rise together in spirit or in body and confess what it is that we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, as we turn our attention to prayer this morning, I invite you to uh, participate in our weekly invitation of signing care letters. You will find those under the windows in the north transept. There are a number of letters for both challenges and celebrations in people's lives, and your signature can serve as a form of prayer and solidarity for those in this, these times of transition. This morning we celebrate two babies born. We are delighted to welcome Leon Decatur Scovel uh, to King and Lou, and we also want to celebrate with Jack and Jenny Carroll as they welcomed a new baby as well. As we join in prayer this morning, we are mindful of those in Southeast Texas and in Louisiana who have experienced significant flooding following Tropical Storm Imelda. We want to remember them. Presbyterian Disaster Assistance is mobilized and is on the ground there to help our Connectional Church uh, take action. And so we want to remember the communities that have been affected by this storm. Friends, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, you have called us to be people of prayer to continue the ministry of intercession handed on to us by Jesus Christ himself. And so we come before you with confidence this day, bringing our prayers for the world that you love. In your mercy, we ask for your hearing and for your response. We pray for those who, like Jesus' disciples, find themselves surrounded by high winds and stormy seas, those who feel overwhelmed by events and circumstances, Circumstances such as the loss of a job or the death of a loved one. Circumstances such as a serious accident or illness or chronic pain or depression or divorce. Circumstances of people who don't know where to turn. We pray for those who find themselves deeply wounded by people they love. People they thought they knew and trusted and who are struggling to know how to respond. We pray for those who are experiencing a crisis of faith, who long to wholeheartedly trust in God, but who are held back by questions and doubts. We pray for those who have fallen into despair, who have begun to doubt God's presence and power or question God's call in their lives. We pray for those who have had their hopes and dreams crushed, those whose lives have suddenly taken a different turn and who now wonder what lies ahead for them. Loving God, we know that it is your heart that is the first to break when any of your beloved suffer. We offer our prayers for all those who hunger and thirst, those who live in the midst of violence or poverty, and those who feel abandoned or ignored by the world around them. We pray especially this day for those experiencing flooding, as a result of natural disasters such as tropical storms and the like. We pray, Lord, that once again you will come alongside them and bring them hope and show them a clear path forward. 
Through the life-giving power of your Holy Spirit, make your sustaining presence known to all, all of us, each and every one of us. For we rest in your goodness and your graces. We thank you for the blessings that you bestow upon us, such as new lives and new opportunities. We also lean into your strength at other times in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives to intercede for us and who taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, the act of worship is central to a life of faith. As we offer prayers and sing hymns, as we hear the promises proclaimed in God's word and are nourished through God's sacraments, we are also equipped, equipped to be sent out and to live God's good news on the stage of life. The offering provides us one such opportunity to practice doing that. This morning, all single-dollar bills that are placed in the offering will continue to, to go to Evergreen Life Services, an organization here in Dallas that provides a home and vocational opportunities for adults with mental and intellectual learning differences. Friends, let us practice our worship before God. Let us give of ourselves, of our tithes, and our offerings.
Let us pray. Loving God, how do we say thank you? Certainly by our words, but also by our actions. And so we take action this morning in the giving of a portion of our lives and our resources to say thank you. Use these gifts, we humbly pray, to bless others, fill their hearts with your love as you have filled ours. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I would like to invite forward those families who are presenting their children for the sacrament of baptism. family of God. Through the sacrament of baptism, God claims us and seals us as God's own. For we believe that God in Christ loves us first. It is God who first reaches out to us and claims us. So this morning, as we celebrate with these families the sacrament of baptism with their children, I invite you to remember your baptism. That is God's claim on your life. Session, I present Charles Andrew Henserling, John Elliot Klein, Elliot Francis McAdam, and James Baird Watson to be baptized. Arden and Brock, Lydia and Will, Paige and Tim, Bianca and Bo, I ask you the following questions as you present your children this morning. Do you desire your child to be baptized? If so, please say, I do. Leaning on the gracious mercy of God, do you trust that goodness is stronger than evil, that light is stronger than darkness, that love is stronger than hate, that life is stronger than death, and Jesus Christ is strongest of all? If so, please say, I do. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you take the risk of faith every day? seeking to embody the expansive love of Jesus Christ in all that you say and do. If so, please say, I will. And do you promise to tell your child the stories of the Christian faith, to pray for them, and to remember for yourself and for your child that they belong first and always to the love of God, which we know through Jesus Christ our Lord. If so, please say, I do. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide, to guide and nurture Chase, John, Elliot, and Jimmy with love and prayer through teaching and service, encouraging them to know and follow your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? We do. Friends, let's pray. This water is ordinary, O oh God. It came straight from the tap. But in this water, you make extraordinary promises to Chase and John and Elliot and Jimmy. In this water, you promise to claim them as, this, as your own. In this water, you promise to wrap them in your love. In this water, you seal each of them with a new identity. Child of the covenant. Oh God, it has always been this way with you and with water. 
You moved over waters at creation to bring forth life. Out of the waters of the flood, you gave righteousness a new start. Through the waters of the Red Sea, you gave your people freedom. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized and anointed with your spirit. Send your spirit again over this water. Surround Chase and John and Elliot and Jimmy now as they receive your grace. And renew us all with the gifts of new beginnings and deep belonging. So as with this children way, go from here in joy as your beloved family. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Friends, what is the Christian name of your child? Charles Andrew, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God, seated in your baptism, and you belong to Jesus Christ forever. What is the Christian name of your child? You want to come and stand up here? Elliot Francis, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God sealed by the Spirit in your baptism and you belong to Jesus Christ forever. What is the Christian name of your child? John, will you let me look at you? I know. John Elliot, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God, sealed by the Spirit in your baptism, and you belong to Jesus Christ forever. What is the Christian name of your child? It's okay. James Watson, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, I know, and of the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God, sealed by the Spirit in your baptism. And you belong to Jesus Christ forever. I know, I know. I know. I can't think that. Charles Andrew Henslang. John Elliot Klein. I know, we're working on it. Elliot Francis McAdam. And James Baird Watson are now received in the Holy Catholic Church through baptism. God has made the members of the household of faith to share with us in the priesthood of Christ. <laughs> Thank you, John. You to remain seated and to join in singing in the verse that's printed in your bulletin as we introduce to you the newest children of the covenant.
Families, we have presented you all with a candle this day. Our invitation is that you will take this candle home with you and that you will light it each year on this day as a reminder to your child of their day of baptism, that maybe the water was a little cold and it was a little rough being baptized, <laughs> but mostly that you would remind them that they are loved and claimed by God each and every day of their lives. Friends, let us stand and sing our closing hymn, verses 1 and 4. as we go forth from this hour of worship to be the church in the world. May God give us the grace never to sell ourselves short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to recognize that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and far too small for anything but love. So may God take our minds and think through them. And may God take our lips and speak through them. And may God take our hearts, each and every one of them, and set them on fire. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and guide us in our many, many, many different ways this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen. Amen.